the word of the Lord from the book of Revelation, chapter 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, and it said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Powerful, powerful text. Thank you for reading that, Mark. I was talking to a young man uh, last week um, who was dealing with a lot of things in his life in addition to the pandemic and the civil unrest that we're experiencing as a culture. And I asked how he was making it along, and he said, I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. You ever felt that way? 
like you're at your end, couldn't go on. I was very concerned for this young man because on that same day, the CDC released an article uh, which had done some recent research at the end of June. And according to this new data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 25.5% or one out of four adults ages 18 to 24 say they have contemplated suicide in the past month as a result of the pandemic. One out of four. One out of four, 18 to 24-year-olds have considered taking their own life. The research went on to say more than 40% said they experienced mental health condition in relation to the pandemic. 31% reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. 13% surveyed said they had uh, increased their use of drug use to cope with emotions related to COVID-19, all of which means the pandemic is dangerous in more than one way. It also means there are a lot of people out there like this young man who felt like they're at their end. Well, what, what do you think? Here's my question today. What do you think Jesus would say to someone who felt like they were at their end? What, what would he say? If, if Jesus were here in the flesh, now he is here by his spirit here today, but if he was here in the flesh and he walked down here and took the mic to say something, what would he say to people who felt like they were at their end? Well, I think Mark just read it from Revelation chapter 1. If you have your Bibles and you haven't already done that, turn to Revelation 1. It's the book at the end of the Bible. And, and while you're turning there, let me just say, the book of Revelation is the most misinterpreted and least understood book in the entire Bible. It has been the object of much sensationalism, much speculation, and that's a shame because this is the most exalted view of Jesus in all of Scripture. No other biblical book paints such a majestic and cosmic picture of Jesus as the Lord of history and the master of the destiny of all of his creatures. Jesus is the central figure of this book. He is the point of the book. Sadly, mo most people don't really realize that, and they treat the book of Revelation as if Jesus were saying, hey guys, here's a bunch of stuff you can guess about until I come again. And it's going to be really fun to see whose end time chart is right and wrong. The book of Revelation is so much deeper than that. Jesus is speaking to John and he's speaking to a church who felt like they were at the end of their rope. And he speaks forcefully and strongly sometimes. And he speaks tenderly at others to say, I'm going to tell you some things that's going to make your life work in the middle of a world that has every kind of challenge you can imagine. And I want you to see your victory through it and beyond it. And I want you to know that I am there with you when you feel like you're at your end, whether it's the end of time or the end of your rope today. So the title of this message is, When You Think You're at Your End. I was blessed this week to read an article by Jack Hayford that he wrote something 20 years ago. Uh, and even though it was written 20 years ago, it was like it was written yesterday for the pandemic. It's one of those things. That's how truth is. It, it transcends time when something's really true. And he wrote that, and I want to pass along some of the thoughts and ideas that he had related that come right out of this text of Revelation 1. So let's look at the text. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Right, stop right there. Right there in the first, what is that? The first five words of the book. The book of Revelation is not a revelation of information. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of prophecies, though there are prophecies in it. It is a revelation of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is of him, it's from him, it's about him. 
And we ignore that first sentence at our own peril because we miss the point of the book. I mean, the point of the book of Revelation is that you and I would gain a vision of the resplendent, majestic supremacy of Jesus Christ. And then from that perspective, that would be our vantage point to go through life. That's the point of the book of Revelation. This is how we're supposed to see Jesus. And that vision is what gets us through tough times when we feel like we're at the end. Jesus is trying to teach us in the book of Revelation that whatever you're going through is brief in comparison to what your life is ultimately about. Your life is not about this pandemic. Your life is not about your current problem. Your life is not about your present financial stress. Your life is not about your present domestic stress. Your life is about Jesus. And I'm not suggesting that we should be passive about life's realities. I'm not saying that Jesus is indifferent towards your problems. That's not. What he's saying is, I want you to see me more closely as he really is. The risen, ruling, exalted. Now listen, no, no matter, Jesus is always beyond your greatest thought of him. No matter how high, take your highest, greatest, most majestic thought you've ever had about Jesus, he's greater still. But if you will just get just a little bit closer to how he really is, it will change how you go through this life because you will see that whatever you're going through is not what your life is about. And then we get to verses 9 to 20, and John describes this encounter he has with the risen Jesus. And, and it says, I think, four things that, I, uh, that Jesus would say to people who feel like they're at their end. Now, let me, let me just say, let me just stop right here to say, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I don't, I don't feel like that today. Uh, this still applies to you. Because if you don't today, what, there will come a day where you will feel like that. And if the statistics are true and it's one out of four of every 18 to 24-year-olds who have felt like they're at their end, then you know somebody who needs this. So listen to that. I know the other thing that you're thinking, there are four points. And I know what some of you are thinking, we had bonus points Sunday just a month ago. Can we have it again? Yes, we can have bonus points Sunday yet again. Okay, let's dive right in. Looking at the text here, the first thing we can say is this. We can never be in a place where Jesus' love won't find us. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're at your end and you feel like Jesus doesn't even know where you are. I want you to hear this. You can never be in a place where Jesus' love won't find you. There's a story told of two. Uh, men who were flying in a plane over the Pacific Ocean. They hit a storm and they had to do a crash landing in the ocean and they were washed up on a uh, deserted island. And there on the shore, one of the men were very worried and he was panicking about how are we going to be discovered and he was trying to do an SOS in the sand on the beach to, in case a plane would fly over and see it. And the other guy was relaxed and when the sun came out, he, you know, laid out to get a tan. And the guy who was worried said to the guy who was relaxed, he said, man, what is wrong with you? Don't you know we're stranded on this deserted island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? The man said, you don't understand. I make a million dollars a month. And the guy was worried. said, well, what does that make a difference? You can't buy a boat. You can't buy a plane. You're so arrogant about how much money you make. That's not going to help us. That's not going to save us. And the, first, the other guy said, listen, no, 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 calm down, calm down. Follow my logic. I make a million dollars a month. I tithe. My pastor will find us. Well, it's good to know your pastor will find you. Just a little incentive to tithe there. Just kidding. Not really. No, no I'm kidding. 
Uh, many years ago, Marlene and I lived in Central Asia, uh, one, and, and the communication was not really good. One day, we got a call at our flat, and I picked up the phone, and it was the American embassy telling us to have Marlene call her mom. Because her mom uh, had called the, uh, I think, the, uh, the Canadian government in Ottawa who had called the American embassy, or the uh, Canadian embassy in Moscow who had called the American embassy in Moscow who had called the American embassy in Dushanbe to tell us to call home. And at first I went, oh, okay. Then, you know what? It was very comforting because I discovered it doesn't matter where we go on earth, Ma, Marlene's mom will find us. We could have been captured by a rogue faction of the Afghan Taliban and she would find us. It's very encouraging to know your pastor will find you, your mom will find you, but isn't it better to know that we can never be in a place where Jesus can't find us? Now you say, where do you get that from the text? Well, in Revelation 1, it says in verse 9, I was on the island called Patmos. On the island called Patmos. Now there's, very, there's something very significant about that word. Now if you test NIV positive like I do, uh, the NIV says on an island of Patmos, but in Greek the text actually says an island called Patmos. You only talk like that if it's not a well-known place. Patmos is a Greek island in the Aegean Sea. It's just a dot on the face of our planet. It was a Roman penal colony there, 10 miles long, 6 miles at its broadest point. And he said, I was in a place called Patmos. You, you only say that when people haven't heard of it. It's famous to us now because it's in the text, but it wasn't then. It's, it's like, you know, we have a, a certain lady in our church who, whenever she gets a chance, she'll tell you she's from New York, right? Uh, but she never says, I'm from a place called New York. Because she doesn't have to say that. We, we, we know New York, right? We have another young lady in our church who's from Boston, right? And whenever she wants to tell you she's from Boston, she doesn't say, I'm from a place called, no, she just says, go Patriots, because you don't, you don't have to. We know where Boston is, right? So, so get this. It, John is not just giving inf interesting information. He's like, hey, I'm on the island of Pat. There's something he's trying to say here. You can never be in such a forsaken place that Jesus' love won't seek and find you. That's the heart of this message. And you may feel like you're at your end. Maybe you're here today and, and you're in this room and you kind of feel like you're at your end. I want you to know you can never get in such a dark place that his love can't find you. And maybe you're watching online and it's because of a number of reasons that you have to be isolated uh, right now from everybody else and you feel like you're on an island and loneliness is setting in. I want you to know even on the island of loneliness, Jesus' love can find you. You may feel like you're in a place called confusion. You're on an island called despair, an island called rejection. And John is reporting the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to me when I was on an island in the middle of nowhere. And he found me. Which means he'll find you. You can never be so far off that Jesus' love can't find you. Number two, we can never be so bound that the Spirit can't free us. See, some of you think maybe you're too bound. And maybe you've lost hope of ever being free. You think this is just the way I am. I've always been this way. I'm always going to be this way or whatever. Something's happened in your life. And now I'm, I've lost hope that I'm ever going to change. Well, look at verse 10. It says, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, John's location, of course, is, is not only in a penal colony, he's under the scepter of the world's imperial power at the time, which was Rome. There's no escape. 
There are no circumstances that can alter his circumstances. He is under that control. He is under the heel of Roman dominance. And this is what he says. I was at the end of the world, at the end of anything I could do with no way out. But on this day, I transcended all that. I went into the spirit on the Lord's day. You may have been on the island of Patmos, but let me tell you a day, I was on the island of Patmos, but I got into the Spirit. See, you can let Patmos be the defining factor of your life, or you can get into the Spirit and transcend what's around you. Whenever you feel like you're at your end, you can identify with those surroundings. And you can say, these are my limits, or you can transcend it by getting into the Spirit. Because there's a whole other dimension beyond what we see with our physical eyes. Now, I know some of you may have this thought, okay, what does that mean? What, is, what does that mean to be in the Spirit? He was in the Spirit on the Lord. What does that mean? And, and I just want to tell you, I don't know if I can describe it to you. I, I'm not even sure I have words to tell you what it means except to say it's real, and I know what it's like when I'm in the Spirit and when I'm not. I know what it's like when I'm feeling controlled by Patmos, or when I'm being led by, full of, and in the Spirit. I know the difference. Now, can I explain it and describe it? I can't, I don't know how to explain it to you. Except to say, let's get in the Spirit. <laughs> and when you're in the Spirit, you, you trans, did, and, and many times it comes from getting into the Word. Sometimes it gets, when you're just in worship. Did you notice that today? By the way, worship was fantastic. David and the team, you guys did a great job. But did you feel that in that moment of saying your kingdom reigns and that somebody, it was like we, it's like we weren't defined by these walls anymore. We were trans, we were in the spirit. Did you feel that? And when that happens, you, you aren't controlled just by your circumstances. Listen, I'm not talking about like, let's all have good feelings or positive thinking. You know, I, I, I'm not against positive thinking. I mean, positive thoughts are better than negative thoughts. Okay. But it's not about that. It's about being in the realm of the Spirit through worship. And what John is saying is that Jesus wants us to see this. You can never be so bound that his Spirit can't lift your soul with hope. If you've got a problem, get in the Spirit. That is where you find hope. And you need hope. You need hope. Emil Bruner, the famous theologian wrote this. He said, what oxygen is for the lung, such is hope for the meaning of human life. What oxygen is for the lung, such is hope for the meaning of human life. In other words, take hope away and you suffocate. Take hope away and humanity is constricted through the lack of breath. It's like COVID-19. I've talked to some people who have tested positive for COVID-19 and they told me it's like gasping for air and it's a terrible feeling. And that's exactly a picture. COVID-19 is a picture of life without hope. It's hard to breathe. Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. I understand this is politically incorrect title. He wrote this a long time ago. It should be People's Search for Meaning or Humanity's Search for Meaning. And uh, he was a Jewish psychologist during World War II, and he was sent to uh, Auschwitz prison camp. And I think even Buchenwald. I think he was in both of them at one time or another. And in the first half of this book, which is the half of the book that's worth reading, he, he tells his story. And it's, it's, it's a devastating story of what it was like to be at Auschwitz or Buchenwald and, and, and to see people 
die on both sides of you. And he says a couple of things that are very interesting. Number one, he says that he realized that the last human freedom is your ability to choose your attitude in any situation. He said there was people in the prison camp who would actually choose to, they had their last piece of bread and they would give it away to somebody else. Because he said that they can take everything else from you, but they cannot take that from you. And he said that was the last of the human freedoms. But then the other thing he said was he realized the people who survived, who went through that, who could make it through, were the people who found a way to hold on to hope. And when people lost hope, that's when they died. In fact, he said the the death rate went through the roof between Christmas 1944 and New Year's Day 1945 because so many people had thought we would be home by Christmas Day. And they had that hope, we'll be home by Christmas, we'll be home by Christmas. And when they weren't, it devastated them and they lost hope. They died. Someone once said, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. You need hope. And no matter how bad the situation is, God's Spirit can lift you above your situation in hope. And that happens by getting in the Spirit. That's number two. Number three, we can never lose when Jesus writes the end of our story. Oh, this is good. We can never lose when Jesus writes the end of our story. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 17, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha and Omega are the A and the Z of the Greek alphabet, okay? And Jesus is saying, I'm the, I'm the A to the Z. I'm the first to the last. You know, we, 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 use this, we use this concept even today. You guys know this logo? You've seen this logo probably before? Hey, raise your hand if you've ever seen this logo before. Tell the truth. There's some of you who haven't seen this? Oh, my goodness. You are on an island called Patmos. If you have seen this, or you don't have very good Wi-Fi or something. Anyway. What, what is this emblem trying to say? It's trying to say Amazon's got everything from A to Z. Because the arrow goes from the A to the Z. And what Amazon, it's kind of, it's almost, maybe Amazon's the Antichrist. I don't know. Because it's basically a, a I'm, I, don't anybody quote that. Not real. I was joking. I'm not serious about that. I'm sure we could find a video that explain. Anyway, here's the point. What are they saying? We got everything you need from A to Z. And if we ain't got it, you don't need it. That's what Amazon is saying. And then the, the little thing, all, the, the arrow from the A to the Z uh, becomes a smile. If you've seen the commercials, it becomes a smiley face because we got everything you need, A to Z, and we'll make you happy. Again, it's almost a divine claim there. But what's the point? What are they saying? We're, we got everything. We got everything you need. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the A to Z. I'm Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. The one who is and was and is to come. I like the way the message translates that. The message translates verse 8 like this. The one who was, who is, and is about to arrive. I like that. I'm getting ready to show up. He says, I'm the one who is. And then he says in verses 11 and 19, he says, write this down. In other words, I'm, I'm dictating this to you, and you write this down. He's making a statement. Your history can't be written until I, Jesus, have the last word. 
That's what he's saying. He said, I'm here. I'm the one at the beginning. I'm at the end. I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. I'm the creator and the consummator of all things. And between, between the creation and the consummation, I'm the redeemer of whatever it is you're going through. I'm the A to the Z. I'm the first to the last. And whatever you're in the middle of that seems like the end is not the end of your story. Why? Because I'm going to write the end of your story. I'm going to write it in my way, in my time, no matter what the circumstance is. And guess what? When Jesus writes your story, you're not the loser. I mean, it's pretty cool to, to be in the story, but it's a better thing to know that the author of the story loves you. I mean, I didn't put this up on the screen, but in verse 6 it says, uh, the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. The, the, the author of your story is the one who traded his blood for you. It's not that information. That's not to say that everything that happens in life is from God. We do have an enemy. It is to say, however, that the enemy doesn't get to write the end of your story. He doesn't have the keys of death and hell. Jesus, so Jesus is the author, and he's a good author. He's a redemptive author. I've had the opportunity in, in, in my life several times to meet uh, some of my favorite authors. I had a chance about 20 years ago to have breakfast with N.T. Wright, who's one of my probably top two or three favorite authors living. And it was just an amazing experience. And then a few years ago, I had a chance to meet another guy who, who had been one of my favorite authors and one of my heroes when, when I was a teenager. He had, reading one of his books, had actually led me to C.S. Lewis, which changed my life. So I was very excited to get to meet this guy. And he was here speaking at a fundraising banquet uh, for a big ministry that we support. And they called me and asked me to introduce him. So not only was I going to get to meet this guy, I was going to introduce him. I was very excited about this. I wrote the best introduction ever, in my humble opinion. And so I got to meet him about an hour before we went on stage. Turns out the guy was a jerk. I was devastated. I mean, a total, I guess, most, you know, almost nobody's a total jerk, but he was three quarters of a jerk. I mean, just... And then I had written this introduction. And I wanted to say this guy's a jerk. And I didn't. You, you know what? Isn't it good to know Jesus is the author of your story and Jesus is not a jerk. He's writing a good story. And it'll have a good end. And you may not understand it right now. And that's okay. There's a lot of things I don't understand. A lot of things in my own life, in my family's life. There's a lot of things in your lives. I've talked to many of you and you've told me your story and there's a lot of things I don't understand. Soren Kierkegaard put it this way. He said, life is lived forward, but it's understood backward. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever gone through something and you're like, what in the world is this all about? And then maybe 10 years later you realize, oh, I was being prepared back then for this right here. You live life forward, but you understand it backwards. I hate that. I wish it was the other way around, don't you? Like, what if we could just understand everything in life and then live it? That'd be cool. But that's not the way it works. And there are some things you will never understand in this life. You won't understand until you get to the other side. I mean, Paul said as much, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now I know in part, 
then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. There will come a day where you will understand more than you do now, but now is when you live it. So for now, just know this, we can never lose when Jesus writes the end of our story. We cannot lose. Can't do it. Number four and finally, hang with me just a couple more minutes. We can never fear because Jesus is closer and more powerful than we think. We can never fear because Jesus is closer and he's more powerful than we think. Look at verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were like white wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice... His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell down as, at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me. Now stop right there. The last time we saw his right hand was in verse 16 and he had seven stars in it. And he says, he doesn't just say he touched me. He said he put his right hand on me. And biblically, the, the right hand represents power. It represents authority. I mean, I don't have time to go through all the scriptures, but from the Old Testament to the New Testament, when it talks about somebody sitting on the right hand of the, of the throne or the right hand of the king or my right hand will deliver us, it's about power. It's about authority. And he said, he put his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. We can never fear because Jesus is closer and more powerful than they think. He said, I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now let this in. As John writes these words and describes this encounter with Jesus, remember the last time he saw Jesus personally was on a hill outside of Jerusalem called the Mount of Olives in the year roughly speaking 30 AD or so, 40 days after the resurrection, and Jesus ascended from there into heaven. Now, some of you have been to Israel with us. You've been on that hill. You know what I'm talking about. The last time John saw Jesus, it was on that hill, and Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, 50, 60 or so years have gone by. Suddenly, he's on this island called Patmos, when he thought he was at the end, he thought he was in the middle of nowhere where Jesus couldn't even find him. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice from behind him like the blast of a trumpet. And he turns around and he describes what he saw and, and, and words seem to, to fail him. He, he's laboring to come up with a description. His, his eyes, they're like, they're like blazing fire. He says, my God, if you could have seen his hair. His face had all the brilliance of the sun. And he's describing the splendor and the majesty of the reigning Christ who at the right hand of the throne has all power and is Lord over all. And John says, I fell down as though dead. In other, in other words, I was overwhelmed by the majesty of the Savior. He didn't say, Jesus, I haven't seen you in 60 years, fist bump. No. He fell down. As though dead. 
there's great significance here in this encounter because no one knew Jesus better than John. I mean, if this is the same John as the beloved disciple in the Gospel of John, and just so you know, there is some academic debate over this. I hold that, that was, it's the same John, okay? Uh, there is some debate. But if, if I'm right, then this is the disciple who was the closest friend to the Savior during his earthly ministry. The most familiar person who knew Jesus better than anybody else turns around and he's overwhelmed by his awesome presence. I hear in that a message of Jesus to those of us who know him well, that when we face times and we think we're at the end, the Lord is saying, you may think you know me well, but you ain't seen nothing yet. There is more. And yes, I have rescued you before. You have seen me display strength. You have seen me take action. You have experienced the gifts. You have experienced my presence. You have experienced my deliverance. But all of that was nothing compared to what I'm getting ready to do because I'm about to touch you with my right hand. See, do not for a moment believe that all that God has done in the past is all that he can do. You may have experienced certain things in your life where God was intervening. That's not the end of what he can do. He, he hasn't exhausted all of his power. There is more. And there's a way in which Jesus is calling us when we're in the middle of circumstances, I feel like we're at our end, to lift up our head a little bit higher because I'm greater than you think, I'm more powerful than you think, and I'm actually closer than you think. I mean, John thought he was in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden, right behind him is the glorified, risen, just came from the right hand of God the Father Almighty, Jesus right behind him. Sometimes it feels like Jesus is far away, but he's closer than you think, and that means you can trust him. No matter what the circumstances look like in life, because there is never a plan to disregard you, there is never a plan to neglect you, no matter how alone or confused you feel in the midst of life, Jesus is saying, my power, my right hand will take you through. There is nothing you face that God's power cannot take you through. Listen, even COVID-19 is gonna bow its knee. The risen, supreme, cosmic Jesus Christ that we see in Revelation 1 is all you need. He's the fulfillment of the deepest longings of your heart. To the sinner, he's the Savior. To the seeker, Jesus is the truth. To the wanderer, Jesus is the way. To the weary, Jesus is the rest giver. To the lifeless, Jesus is the life. To the addicted, Jesus is the deliverer. To the sick, Jesus is the great physician. To the fearful, Jesus is the prince of peace. To the debtor, Jesus is our provision. To those with questions, Jesus is the answer. To the hungry, Jesus is the bread of life. To the thirsty, Jesus is the water of life. And to the lonely, Jesus is always there. He will never leave you or forsake you. So wherever you are in life, whatever it is today, whatever you're going through today, lift your vision to that Jesus. The risen, this cosmic Lord of history, reigning over all. Lift your vision to that Jesus and remember, we can never be in a place where Jesus' love can't find us.
We can never be so bound that the Spirit can't free us. We can never lose when Jesus writes the end of our story. And we can never fear because Jesus is closer and more powerful than we think.